Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You don't just live in your home, you live in your neighborhood as well. So when you're shopping for a home, you want to know as much about the area around it as possible. Luckily, Homes.com has got you covered. Each listing features a comprehensive neighborhood guide from local experts. Everything you'd ever want to know about a neighborhood, including the number of homes for sale, transportation, local amenities, cultural attractions, unique qualities, and even things like median lot size and a noise score. Homes.com. We've done your homework. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hello, welcome to the Bechdel cast. My name's Jamie. My name's Caitlin. And this is our podcast where we talk about women in the movies. Yeah, that is exactly what it is. And it's inspired by the Bechdel test. Right. If you're not familiar with that, it's Get a, test. a life. Yeah, throw yourself into a river. You walk in the traffic, <laughs> <laughs> or time. or you can just learn from us because we're about to tell you that it's a test that you apply to movies that requires that there are two female characters. They speak to each other. They have names, and their conversation cannot be about a man. Do you want to do a demo really quick? I'd love to. Okay, so here's an example of something that would pass the Bechdel test. Caitlin, do you think that Meryl Streep is happy? Jamie, I what is happiness? You know, who who am I to say whether or not Meryl Street is happy? Meryl who? What did I say? <laughs> Meryl Street. <laughs> <laughs> so that's an example of yeah, an yeah. that would pass the Bechtel test because we didn't talk about a man. We talked about a esteemed actress, Meryl Street. But what if Meryl Street is a man and I fucked it up? No, it's wrong. There's she's well. We, we well, I know Meryl broken. Streep is a woman. Meryl, but Meryl Street. Street. We don't know how they identify. Right. Right. We don't so. want to put Meryl Street in a box. <laughs> I wonder if Meryl Street has seen doubt. When are we going to do a doubt episode? Soon. Okay. Soon. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, let's pretend that Meryl Street is a woman, got, and uh, that conversation definitely passed the Bechdel test. I've got. I'm about to break the Bechdel test. I've got a Mike's harder lemonade in blood orange today wow yeah it tastes like tang uh, with trash in it oh. <laughs> it's good it's good though it's good hey do you want to have an episode i'd love to let's have an episode okay let's introduce our guest he is a co-creator and co-star of the upcoming show corporate on comedy central it's so good you can watch the first four eps now wow yeah 
It's Jake Wiseman. Hey. Hi. Wow. What's up? Oh, not too much. How about you? Loving the Meryl Street stuff. I know. Meryl that Street. was a real giggle. Working out a street bit. <laughs> had to stifle some we had giggles stifle. there. Yeah. yeah, a live stifle. <laughs> if you're out there, Meryl Street, find me on Twitter. Let's be friends. We'll send you something. We don't have any merchandise. We'll send you something. <laughs> it doesn't matter. We gotta get merch. I still have my hamster's corpse in the freezer. I'll send you that. Does <laughs> do anyone you? want that? Yeah, I've been. I, I've actually been struggling with what to do with it. Do you, how often do you touch it? <laughs> Once a day, yeah. just to check it. But yeah. it's in the. But it's in a bag, right? It's in a ball in a bag in the freezer. Wait, what do you mean in a ball? Like a hamster ball. Oh, it's in a ball in a bag. In a bag so that my roommates don't see that there's a hamster corpse in the freezer. Do they listen to this podcast? No. Okay. No. Okay, yeah. They certainly don't. So now I have to decide. I'm torn between taxidermy and Hollywood Forever Cemetery, and I've been putting it off for almost three weeks now, wow. and I don't know how much, how long you can keep a corpse in your freezer. Well, so, from experience, I'd say up to. Just kidding. I don't know. I'm not a murderer. <laughs> No, I was really on board for taxidermy, but then now, now I, I don't want my hamsters passing to be a joke. I loved her. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to just bury her next to Zsa Zsa Gabor, like my original plan was. So wait, are you gonna are you gonna pay to bury? Or are you just gonna go in there and no. just fucking do it? Yeah, I just need to find someone to go with me, and I'll I'll bring like a spoon, and then just bury her somewhere. I'll go. Yeah. Okay, come with. All right. It'll be so fun. I think I'm busy, but it sounds great. They're unbelievable. <laughs> no time specified. Okay, fine. So what what are we uh, what's the, the podcast? We're talking today about Pulp Fiction. This is wait, this is the second Tarantino, Tarantino film we've yes. done, right? What was the first one you did? We did Kill Bill. That was our first episode ever. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, yeah. a woman is the lead of that. Yes. Yep. So this is different. This, this is, is a little bit, bit different. different. Tell us when you first saw this or what your history with this movie is. I think this movie came out in 94, if mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, and so I would have been 11. I do remember specifically when it came out, it was all the rage. It was a it was a phenomenon. I remember wanting to see it so badly and just pestering my dad to see it. And he had already seen it. And was, everyone was talking about how great it was. And he's like, we're going to the movies, but we can't see Pulp Fiction. You're too young to see it. We're going to see Nobody's Fool instead. Now, Nobody's Fool is a film starring Paul Newman and Melanie Griffith. And um, I've seen it, and it actually is a good movie, but I was such a brat. I was an 11-year-old <laughs> prick, and I was like, no, it's not fair. You're not going to let me see Pulp Fiction. I'm adult enough. And I remember he took me to the movies. like, come on, we're going to the movies. And I was in the backseat just whining. And we got to the window, and one of the best moments of my life, I remember vividly, he goes, two for Pulp Fiction. And I was like, oh, my God, amazing long play. Now, here's the thing. I was definitely too young to see it, and uh-huh. he made a mistake. Uh, like he's, a, he's a bad dad. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, um, that's why I'm so fucked up. Fiction. But it was cool to see it because it was so, like, it was such a incendiary movie. It changed filmmaking. It changed everything. Uh-huh. So that was my, like, I do remember that moment. And I've seen it, I think, a hundred times. I mean, everyone's seen it a million times. It's just always on. It's always talked about. It's like a cultural touchstone. Everyone's been trying to rip it off ever since. There's like 50 Pulp Fiction posters in any given college dorm building. And one of the the issues with like a movie like that, let's say you love it. If you love like a movie and it changes everything, the problem though is then every movie for the next 20 years is a knockoff of that movie and it sucks. So right. that's like the real problem with changing the game is just like no one else can do it, but they're going to do it. And so that's annoying. Was that your first like rated R movie? 
I don't think so. I like kind of grew up fast. Well, well okay. Yeah, Charlotte's Web. When I was, like, <laughs> six. Um, and uh, just kind of ever. I've seen everything. I only watch R. I've only seen R's. It's <laughs> wild that you probably saw The Lion King and Pulp Fiction at the same Honestly, year. Honestly, yeah. The I think year. I saw, uh, what was the Space Jam around that time? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Pulp Fiction, it's brutal. Like in rewatching it last night just for this podcast, I was like, oh, this is, this is insane. This should be X, I think. Like, this is like a crazy thing. How could right. you explain this to anyone? Well, the thing is, I feel like if a movie is rated like NC-17 or whatever, is that what you mean by like an X yeah, rating? I'm so old, I call it X. <laughs> it still sounds cooler. Well, there's like... Bring back the, X. I feel like a lot of X rated movies are rated that way because there's some sort of... There's like graphic sex, but yeah. usually not like heterosex. Sure. A lot of... Well, um, and, and just the idea that sex is like more upsetting than violence uh-huh. is just like, what are we talking about right. here? Yeah. <laughs> there yeah. were, th- on this viewing, because I haven't seen this movie in a couple of years, there were entire large disturbing sections of this movie that I had totally forgotten about. Mm-hmm. I had completely forgotten about the extended rape plot. Yeah, with Marcellus movie. Wallace. Completely and, forgotten about it. Yeah. yeah. That was jarring. I uh-huh. was fully awake. <laughs> Speaking of this movie getting ripped off, may I tell you about a student film that I made that basically ripped off of Pulp Fiction? Yeah. Yes, please. It's a roughly seven-minute short called Exchange. It centers around a $20 bill that has like an X marker, like someone wrote an X with marker on the $20 bill. And it follows this among all these different characters who each have a certain vice. Like the one guy is like a drug addict. They like roll it up and they like use the $20 bill mm-hmm. to snort cocaine another one is like a gambling person or like a cheater i forget is it all the same 20 dollar bill yes yeah but it connects all these characters and things like happen out of chronological order and i was just like i'm so fucking brilliant you guys are making this stupid yeah i have not seen it in many years i would imagine it is it on hold up is it somewhere is it on blu-ray can we find it (laughs) can we find (laughs) the director's cut is on available for purchase on amazon um no i have not put it on youtube or anything like that i'm far too embarrassed for that god uh, there's so much embarrassing stuff just like buried out there i have an ebook somewhere out there it sucks that like the only way to do it now is to just be so horrible in public and then you maybe get a chance 10 years later to do something good like that's the only way to do anything is to be horrible but but for some reason need the validation and not care too much about the shame in an effort to one day know what you're doing but Mm. it's like horrible and all your horribleness is fully archived for the world to find (laughs) When you get good at something. Right. Yeah, I think like, Inspiring. I think also it's weird because I think a large part of, especially with filmmakers, there's this myth around a lot of like male filmmakers like Kubrick and stuff where it's like, they're perfect. That's not true. They just didn't have YouTube. So they weren't like uploading the shitty fucking student films they did. They were right. burning the negatives of the stuff that sucked mm-hmm. and then only putting up the stuff that worked. You know what I mean? And now there's yeah. less of a myth. It's a lot of just like, yeah, just be shitty and figure it out eventually. Like, that's what it is. Wouldn't it be amazing if we had the option in, like, a filmography thing for something to be parentheses lost? Because that's, like, yeah, that's, like, the first couple years of so many famous directors. They're like, oh, we don't we don't know. Yeah. It's gone. It's like, oh, it probably was just bad and someone mm-hmm. disposed of it. Mm-hmm. If only that were an option. Well, I'd definitely take down all my old stand-up videos of, like, really dumb shit I've said. And fully private. They're nowhere to be found. 
Anyway, so um, let's, Pulp Fiction. let's do it. <laughs> Jamie, you've seen this movie um, oh, yeah. once before. What's your history with it? I've seen this movie. I think this was maybe my third time seeing it. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I mean, I'm late to every movie. I've seen <laughs> Doubt 500 times in every other movie <laughs> once. Um, I saw this movie in, I want to say maybe late high school mm-hmm. with some friends and everyone thought it was so fucking cool. And then I saw it again in college, same deal. And I saw it last night. And this is like, it, I, I like this movie. I don't have any particular attachment to it, but mm-hmm. I like it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I saw it for the first time, I think, in high school as well. I remember going to the video store and being like, there are certain movies that I just need to see. Because I was like, I'm going to be a film major. I have to have seen these movies. I so I like went and I rented Fargo. Pulp Fiction and The Princess Bride, three movies that I had never seen before. And I watched them all. I was like, wow. That's a good they mix. Were, yeah. I was like, they were right. These movies are pretty good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who's they? Uh, you know, they. <laughs> it was a listicle on theguardian.com. <laughs> there was one point where, yeah, I would just like look up lists that people I had heard of had like made of things that they liked. I'm like, well, I'll just go look at that mm-hmm. and then spiral out from there, which is like a misguided but sort of effective way when you're very I think it's a it. great way to do it. Yeah. yeah. I think it's like the only... I feel like everything I read or watch is just interviews with people who make stuff. They're like, also do that. Right, Yeah, like right. that's kind of it. Like I don't really know how else to do it because I don't trust... I think sometimes when you take opinions from good friends, there's a real danger there because a lot of people that are smart have terrible taste. Like they're just not <laughs> not smart about entertainment. Mm-hmm. And you're like, once you know what they like, like I'm having a personal problem with people liking Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Oh, I've seen and, how much and trouble you've And it's so horrible, having. and I'm losing friendships. Like, like, mm-hmm. and it's like I don't I don't want to know what friends like. I just want to know what the cool people like, and then I <laughs> then at least I won't be hurt when we disagree. You know? Right. Sure. Feel free to go on your three billboard tirade at We can any talk about point. that at some point for <laughs> sure. Point. Yeah. There yeah, I mean my whole like my whole formative years were writing down anything that was mentioned in this series of unfortunate events books and then just going <laughs> to locate them. Mm-hmm. But it was actually very helpful and I like found out a lot of stuff that I like and know about now because of those those little books. All right. That's good. How cute. I like those better than pulp fiction. Okay, sure. I'm going to go home. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, How would I do a recap of... Do-do-do-do. Pulp Fiction. Caitlin's recap. So this is a movie in which the events do not happen in chronological order. I'm Things are all like, this thing happens, and then this thing happens, but then we flash. It's a whole thing. So bear in mind. So we start out on a couple who are in a dire and die. I cannot fucking talk to them. They're in a diehard. Meryl Street (laughs) is on Diner Street. (laughs) So the movie Diner. Um, (laughs) So they're in a diner and they announce this is a robbery. Well, then we cut to John Travolta. Amazing reenactment. <laughs> hey, guys. You actually, this, this is, is a robbery. Actually a robbery. I know you thought yeah, we were just... Yeah, I know you thought we were just like dancing a polka, but the guns are real. And actually, guys. We want your money. We're still going to pay for the meal, but... <laughs> okay, so then we cut to John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson, and they're talking about royales with cheese. They're chatting They're having a conversation. These for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're like, wow, six minutes of dialogue equals revolutionary. <laughs> Pretty amazing stuff. So they go to these people's apartment on behalf of their boss, Marcellus Wallace, mm. who is some sort of organized crime mobster type of it's dude. A bad element. Right. Yeah. And they're there to collect a briefcase that's full of 
light bulbs? We don't know. It's a MacGuffin. And they uh, are trying to get the briefcase from these people who have totally fucked over Marcellus Wallace and then um, John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson, whose characters' names are Vincent Vega and Jules Winfield? Winfield. Street. When street. Jules street. <laughs> Uh, they shoot them up. And then we meet Butch, played by Bruce Willis. He's a boxer. We meet Marcellus Wallace, and he's like, he basically gives him money to fix a fight. And then this is a fun scene because Vince Vega and Jules Winfield slash Winstreet show up in different clothes than we saw them in before. And we're like, what is this all about? Like, wait, is this perhaps non-linear? Oh, my God. Hold the phone. Mm-hmm. Then Vince Vega goes and buys heroin from Eric Stoltz. Then he takes Mia Wallace. We've all been there. We've all been dire straits from <laughs> Eric Stoltz. <laughs> that part was just a documentary. <laughs> it's just bad writing. You can't just because he got yeah he got let go of Back to the Future. He was right. the original dude, so uh-huh. he needed to. He was pedal supposed heroin. to be Marty McFly, and they shot really? most of the yeah. movie with him. And then he got recast because what did he do? He just he was he too serious. He was oh. Yeah. And and you just shouldn't do that. He succeeded too hard. <laughs> People were threatened. <laughs> so then Vincent Vega takes out Mia Wallace, played by Uma Thurman, which is Marcellus Wallace's. Takes out, literally wife. takes out for fun. For fun. Not right. kills. Not in a murder way. Right. They go out dancing. They go out to dinner. It's a great time. Uh, they go back to her house. She finds the heroin that he had bought in um, his pocket. She snorts it thinking it is cocaine. Then she ODs and he has to go deal with that. They go back to Eric Stoltz's house and she gets an adrenaline shot. Then we cut to <laughs> Young Butch receiving young his Young Butch, his baby, that's my SoundCloud rapper name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Butch. <laughs> <laughs> he receives his dad's watch from Christopher Walken. He's like, your dad hid this up his asshole for five years and now I'm giving it to you. Which is a great plot point. The whole time we were watching Chris Walken in this movie... Which you first of all made fun of me for calling him Chris Walken. Yeah, <laughs> Chrissy. It was. Uh, <laughs> he actually goes by Christy. And <laughs> is he Chris cl- walking down the street? Christy. He's yeah. The he's, Merrill Street. The, oh my. Oh okay. I was like, wait, where are we connecting it? Um, I was just thinking about his his scene in Geely the whole time I was watching oh, his scene. God. How many movies is Christopher Walken in for exactly one scene? Two. Geely and Pulp Fiction. He's actually the only two movies he's ever been in. He's never been in any other movies. Try to think of another one. When you tell me things, I believe it. It's not good. It's bad. uh, Go back and rewatch Christopher Walken's scene in Geely. Please don't. He doesn't know. Never watch Geely. He has no idea he's in the movie. He thinks he's just visiting. (laughs) (laughs) They're just like, hey, do you want to just talk to Ben Affleck for like four minutes and he does he's holding a cup from crafty he's holding like a cup with a pattern on it and he's just in a suit and it's like he thinks he's visiting he doesn't know he's he's never heard of that movie before no one has what happened to natalie wood christopher walken tell us i know right he knows he definitely knows he for sure knows huh Anyway. What's happening in the movie? So then we flash forward to Adult Butch, which is my rapper name. And <laughs> <laughs> we tour together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Old Butch is a pretty good name. Old Butch closes out the Old show. Butch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, have, uh, I have an uncle. Oh, wait, I've talked about. Every time I talk about my Uncle Butch on the show, you edit it out. Because <laughs> I, I he's a uncle, criminal. He's a con artist. Yeah. Shout out to my con artist <laughs> uncle, <laughs> Uncle Butch. Okay, so then in the next scene, 
we flash forward to adult Butch, and it's right after his boxing match, and he has not fixed the match like he promised he would. He instead kills his opponent, and he's fine with it. And he runs away, and he gets in this cab where this woman's like, tell me what it's like to kill a man. To kill a man. <laughs> Esmeralda, right? Yeah. That's her name? Yeah. Uh, feminist icon Esmeralda, feminist. because all she wants to, all she cares about is what it's like to kill men. Yeah. I am on board. And it's like, yeah, go for it. Find out. Just turn back and and snap Bruce's neck. Right. (laughs) Figure it out. So then Butch goes to his girlfriend, uh, Fabienne, Mm -hmm. and they're ready to run away, but she's like, fuck, I forgot your watch. And he's like, you stupid bitch. How could you forget my father's watch? He flips out. He flips a table. He's like, you forgot the ass watch. (laughs) And he's mad. (laughs) So um, he goes back to his apartment, but Vincent Vega is there ready to kill him. And he finds his gun and he shoots Vincent and Vincent is dead now. And we're then, like, wait a second. Is this linear? <laughs> Are we going to see this guy well, again or what? I don't know. Yeah. Then Butch runs into Marcellus Wallace, who he had just fucked over for not fixing the fight. And then they have this like whole fight where they like, he like runs Marcellus over with a car. They end up in a pawn shop. Kathy Griffin is, did you see the Kathy Griffin no, cameo? No. I'm sorry, but when he when Marcellus Wallace wakes up and all the like people are there with yeah. him, yeah. There's like, the person who talks to him is Kathy Griffin. Oh, really? Yeah, the, the red-haired, curly-haired like, lady. She's like, I can help oh, you. She's like, it was that hard. guy. He was crazy. It was over there. Yeah. I'll testify for you. Griffin. That's Kathy Griffin. <gasps> wow. Yeah. Wow. It's fun. <laughs> I'm altered. That's exciting. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but that's a very no, important thing. That's, um, oh, I got to find that screenshot. Post haste. <laughs> so they end up in a pawn shop, uh, Butch and Marcellus, and they're like scuffling. And the pawn shop owner's like, hang on a minute. Let me take you down to this sex dungeon. Sorry, we were just looking at a screen cap of Kathy. That's quite all right. I was just <laughs> talking about a sex dungeon. It's so- <laughs> she looks great. So this cop shows up. He gets a gimp out of a cage. And they're like, okay, time for me to rape you. And then they... <laughs> That's my new rage. <laughs> uh, I just, I, when you said that, I saw it as time, then the number four. <laughs> Me, the number two. two. Rape you. <laughs> That's how I saw it in my that head. That was a fully green text. It's a weird you synesthesia. That's <laughs> a classic green text. God. Not to make light of rape. Okay, so Butch and Marcellus get all tied up. Marcellus gets raped by this horrible rapist cop. And then Butch is like, actually, I'm going to fight my way out of this. So he undoes his bondage. He he has a sword, does he not? Yeah, he goes yeah. up because he's about to, he punches the gimp. He runs away and he's like, wait a minute. I can't just let Marcellus suffer this horrible fate. So he gets a sword from the pawn shop, goes back downstairs, slices people up fights uh, for his boy the cop gets his dick shot off in my favorite scene in the movie and then marcellus and butcher like we're cool then we cut to vincent and jules at the apartment that we saw them at before whoa this hold the phone hold the phone in is this story told in order whoa, or what it sure isn't this isn't what i'm used to so right <laughs> uh another person who we had not seen before comes out Shoots at them, but misses. And then Jules has this, like, religious experience where he's like, wow, what a miracle. I'm going to leave this life of organized crime and just, like, be a nice boy. And then... (laughs) 
They take this guy Marvin with them. I'm going to leave this life of organized crime and be a nice boy. My name is Jules. So they take this guy Marvin with him. They're in the car. What if we made every person who'd committed a crime say in a court of law, I'm going to be a nice boy now? I know I messed I think, up, but I'm going to be a nice boy now. Mm-hmm. And or then girl, just s- or turn him loose. Non-binary person, you know? Doesn't right, have, criminals come in all shapes. No, and everyone has to say nice boy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so they take uh, this guy Marvin, who is at the apartment with them, and because I guess they're all pals, and then Vincent accidentally blows his head off with his gun. So then they have to go to this guy Jimmy's house, played by our good friend Quentin Tarantino. So I'm in a psychon Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> and then they call this guy uh, Winston Wolf. Harvey Keitel, and they're like, help us clean this up. And they're like covered in blood from cleaning out the all the crap out of the car. Then they have to put on these different clothes. Whoa, those are the clothes we saw them in in a scene earlier in the movie. What? And then Jules and Vincent go to a diner for breakfast, the same one that we saw the couple in at the very beginning of oh the my, movie. Have we come full circle or something? We have. Stop. And then they're in the middle of the robbery, and then basically Jules is like, don't take this briefcase. It does not belong to you. It's for my boss. He loves light bulbs. And then he's just like, don't be a, be a nice boy. Basically, he's like, be a nice boy. Don't be a robber. Be a nice boy. Bye. And that's the end of the movie. Be a nice boy. Bye. <laughs> Cut to credits. Yeah. <laughs> So that is the story. Good recap. I think you did a great job. Good recap. Thank you. We did it. You did it. (sighs) We all did it. It was a group effort. Mm -hmm. Now. 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 (laughs) Now that we have that out of the way, what shall we discuss? Well, we shall discuss the representation and portrayal of women. Well, given that I apparently forgot large swaths of this movie... There are a lot of female characters in this movie. There are. There's a lot to, yeah, there's a lot to talk about. None of them are, apart from Mia Wallace, I would argue, none of them are main characters. I would say most of them are more secondary or even tertiary. Agreed. Um, So hardly any of them have any sort of influence in the story. In fact, I was thinking about like how crucial women are to the story and what the female characters do to contribute to the story and influence like the direction that the story takes. Because in a movie like this, where there's like an ensemble cast, it's really sort of hard to discern who is the protagonist because there's like these little vignettes and they're all connected. I would argue no one main character. I would agree. Okay, so I think then it is safe to assume that any character in the movie could do something that would significantly impact the story. However, of the female characters we see, none of them really do it in a way that moves the story forward. Or if they do, it's a mistake they've made that the men have to correct. For example, so we've got Mia Wallace accidentally snorting the heroin thinking it's cocaine and Vincent has to take her to the, his drug dealer to get the shot of adrenaline so she doesn't OD and die. Right. In other words, she makes a mistake that a man has to fix. So that actually, uh, watching it this time through, was kind of, because I knew the basic plot points, and I knew that she did that eventually, but the scenes leading up to that, she is so in control and she's so active, and then kind of at that moment when she makes this mistake, she is like kind of damseled right away. And um, all the action she's taken is sort of totally backpedaled on. And she, I mean, yeah, women are mostly reacting in this story. They're not Mm -hmm. pushing action. What's interesting about that 
because I was I've never watched it from this perspective because it's a movie based in just entertainment. Like it's clear Quentin Tarantino doesn't give a shit about issues, right? He's just <laughs> like he's trying to entertain you, and that's part of the problem with some of his movies or maybe all of them. But he's an homage what was interesting boy. about mm. the Mia Wallace thing? I was thinking about it and I was like, oh, well, she's introduced as Marcellus's wife. So that's like how she's introduced as a wife, right? right? But she is such a bold, strong character. Her haircut is just cool as shit. She's very like, you <laughs> know, wig. she's leading the conversation. She like tells him to, as you were saying, Jamie, like she tells him like, you think of something to say. You know, she's very active. And then she's and, like, I want to dance. Let's dance. Yeah, and, and also when, when Vincent comes into her place she's like do this do that you know what i mean she's bossing him around right she's picked the restaurant she's made the reservation like she's she orders a five dollar shake yeah yeah but i will say the thing about the heroine is it is a man fixing the mistake but also she takes his drugs she like takes what's not hers which is active i mean i don't know what that means necessarily but she does sort of like move it forward with like it wasn't necessarily a bad choice it was just like a genuine mistake because the powder is white, right? Right. Yeah. 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 I don't know the intricacies of the Bechdel test, so I, I will learn a lot as we speak. Mm. But I was, but I, I guess it is him cleaning up that mess. But it felt that felt the most okay with a female character because she, at the end, still I feel like she still had the ability to like fuck Vincent over if she told Marcellus. But then she was like, but then she would die basically if she told him. Right. Mm-hmm. Which yes. she didn't totally believe. There's like that exchange they have. After she is revived and, you know, she's like, well, I'm not going to tell him because I'd be fucked over, too. And he's like, well, you wouldn't be as fucked over as I would. But mm-hmm. she very well may be because at this point we haven't met Marcellus. We don't know what kind of person he is. So what so what do you what I was curious about there was what do you think would have happened to her that she did the drugs like that was the problem that she's a drug addict and he wouldn't like that? I mean, I got the impression that he probably knew that she was using drugs. I mean, they're into all sorts of, you know, like illicit behaviors. Right. But for me, my immediate instinct, and it's not really followed up on, but I thought it was because she did it with a man. And like there there was like some sort of... Marcellus paid Vincent to take her out and show her a good time, basically. And then he, like, quote-unquote, fucked up, even though it was kind of out of both of their control. Right. So, yeah, it was sort of like we can presume that, like, that Marcellus was like, take care of her, make sure she's safe while I'm gone because she needs looked after because you're a man and she's a woman and she needs protection. Right. Which is why he's doing that in the first place. Right, right, right. Right. But, well, yeah, so the way Mia Wallace is introduced, like you said, Jules and Vincent are talking about her, and they have that whole conversation about this guy being thrown out of a window because Mm -hmm. he gave her a foot massage. So, like, we hear about this character. I think the point of the conversation is to maybe show how much of a force to be reckoned with Marcellus Wallace is. I think definitely more, like, because she's the possession Mm -hmm. that no one can fuck with. Which right. basically just objectifies her. Well, but definitely then... she's introduced as the wife. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right. But I think to be the wife of this man, Marcellus, I mean, Marcellus is a very intense character. He's like, mm-hmm. you know, immediately legendary. Because also, like, the way he's introduced, it's not even on him. You don't even see him. The way he's introduced, you hear right. his voice, you're just looking at Bruce the Willis. The back of the, his head. And then the back of his head, it's like the 
what mm-hmm. the mark of the beast or something like that is mm-hmm. that what the band-aid is oh i always thought sure. that's what it was because it's connected to like the thing that was in the suitcase which i feel like is a human oh. soul or something and like <laughs> but i think the band-aid is supposed to be that's where you like the devil enters or some bullshit like that oh. that's like some that there's some reason why there's a band-aid okay. there okay. i didn't know anything um, about that sort of mythology but he's like you know this really intense character so you're like yeah and like if you're like a drug underlord underlord or overlord underlord why would because it's both are correct because it's like the underworld but, but you're an overlord. overlord the overlord of the underworld yeah, yeah. what is the over under on the <laughs> um, but yeah it's interesting because like that woman is never gonna be if if it's a male like drug peddler it's probably not gonna be like like he's gonna be stronger than the female character most of the time right like so she's like a kept woman to some degree mm. right mm-hmm. but I mean I think that that's like an interesting writing choice that's made in this movie and again it's hard to tell especially with like early Quentin Tarantino how intentionally it's actually done but it's like we do first hear about Mia Wallace as basically the property of Marcellus that you do not fuck with mm-hmm. but then we meet her and we do learn more about her background we learn that she was an actress we learn there's more depth to her mm-hmm. and she's very open and she takes control of the situation and that was kind of like a fun uh, or interesting inversion of getting to know a character that mm-hmm. is introduced to us as property. Right. But then, the well, the scene I want to talk about that that really bugged me when we were watching it was uh, when she does overdose, and then John Travolta brings her to Eric Stoltz's house, <laughs> where there are I oh god I don't know what their names are, but they have names. Oh, There's jo- two women Jody and Trudy. That scene bugged me because I was like, in any like in any realistic world the two women in that scene would have resolved that problem and way faster than John Travolta and Eric Stoltz would have. And watching them sidelined in that scene that was frustrating. frustrated me. because And they were intentionally sidelined for whatever reason. But like they are at least uh, Eric Stoltz's, I think, girlfriend in that scene. Wife. No, his wife. His wife. Okay, That's yes, an Arquette, his wife. right? Yes, Rosanna yes, Arquette. Arquette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She is in the background of the entire scene watching it happen very passively. And I don't know, like that. Well, she's sort of, me. well, she's like kind of screaming at Eric Stoltz's character. She's sort of depicted as a shrew. Be like, why did you bring her here? Like right. very just like nagging and, and screaming and combative and just difficult to deal with. And then her friend Trudy is like for sure very passive to the point where she's literally just sitting on the couch. Yeah, like she's like smoking a bong (laughs) through the entire scene. There is, I thought, I did think that like watching it this time, like because that wasn't the first time Rosanna Arquette's in the movie. She's in it the first time he goes there to buy the heroin. Yes. And she is like, she's a wife and then for no real reason Eric Stoltz is just kind of a piece of shit to her you know what I mean like he's just kind of like fuck you Mm -hmm. there was a really cool moment though in the scene you were just talking about when they stab Mia Wallace's heart with adrenaline where it made me laugh so hard this time where just before like John Travolta's holding up the adrenaline uh, Eric Stoltz is counting to three and there's a shot of Rosanna Arquette's face where she's like almost like sexually interested in the moment you know what I mean she's like hmm and that was cool because I was like, "That's an active choice for her to just be like a fucking crazy pervert, kind of." Very interesting. And, yeah. and I did enjoy that part okay. where I was like, "Okay, at least she's like a sicko." You know what I mean? <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Yeah, I'd have it's to go really back funny. It made me. I was watching with a female friend, and we both laughed really hard about it. Mm. It was just like it was just like kind of random, but yeah. funny. Yeah, uh-huh. just like I'm gonna see some shit right now. <laughs> <laughs> also, in uh, Eric Stoltz and Rosanna Arquette's house, there's a board game 
called Chauvinist Pigs. Really? In the back of a shop. There were yeah. a lot of board games there. There's yeah, like a lot. Life and just, yeah, it was funny. Yeah, there, when he's looking for the uh, for the black medical book that he's screaming about uh, for a good portion of that scene, mm-hmm. there he walks past this board game called Chauvinist Pigs. <laughs> Didn't mm-hmm. notice that either. Again, it's like well, probably not an intentional choice, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> sure. Um, so I want to go back to Mia Wallace. So she's initially framed as like this person who's talked about but not seen as like, oh, the property of this bad guy who's scary and you don't want to fuck with her or touch her feet because he'll throw you out of a window sort of thing. And then we do meet her. And like you said, she's kind of she's got a lot of autonomy. She's kind of bossing him around like, go make yourself a drink. Do this, do that. Take me out. I want to dance. Making choices. And we also see her. She has a personality, unlike so many female characters we encounter in so many movies right. where we can get a sense of who she is as a person. Uh, unlike- I would argue the most memorable character from that movie. Like, I think in pop culture, she's on the, she's on the poster. She's the, yeah. And I think she's the one that I think about, like her haircut and her eye. Like, you she just remember Sam Jackson that Jackson image. I was going to say, Sam, Sam yeah. Jackson, I think they're kind of tied mm-hmm. for first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is great. And it, and when you sort of pit them against each other in terms of screen time, it's all the more impressive because she's not in the movie a ton. Mm-hmm. It's mostly the top half that she's in. The only other time she's in the movie is when she's like in a bathing suit just catering to her husband by the pool. You remember that? Right. I wasn't yeah. sure if that was her Yeah, or you not. almost don't realize it's her. Right. Um, but she's just like the wife there. I just thought maybe that was another woman that like a side... Mm-hmm. A side I think Thurman? he loves his yeah. wife. I think he loves his wife. Okay. I, I think got he that does. feeling. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I think he does. Yeah. I don't know. He just doesn't know how to show it. But he then, just doesn't know. He's got to learn. Well, he's an assault victim. There is, right. That's true. Oh, poor That's Marcellus. True. But the what other thing I want to say about that scene in the, the restaurant mm-hmm. is that Mia dispels the rumor that a guy was thrown out of a window because he touched her feet. She's like, right. do you really believe that? Like, that's absurd. And whether or not we, if it happened that way because she she could easily be lying and being like that well that's crazy because it is crazy but she at least stands up for herself i also thought one of the cool lines about that because that scene was really interesting where she goes the only time he ever touched me was when he shook my hand at my wedding Uh, yeah which i thought was a very like that was cool that was Mm -hmm. like a very intentional choice like because it could have been a hug yeah but it was shaking that was a power move yeah Mm -hmm. that was great Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, that whole conversation, she's completely in, like, John Travolta is, like, in her hands entirely. Mm -hmm. Like, she steers that conversation entirely. And also, like, it sounds like she doesn't even know exactly what happened. The comment she makes about when men talk about things, it's like a sewing circle. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. That was, like, a really fun line in that particular exchange Mm -hmm. where she's, you know, directly taking a rude comment usually directed at women and, and... saying it to John Travolta. Great. Loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What she says is when you little scamps get together, you're worse than a sewing circle. Mm-hmm. Mm. Love the use of the word scamps. Yeah. Anytime <laughs> scamps can be thrown in, I'm there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good. Uh, so then following that scene in the restaurant, they go back to her house. She invites Vincent Vega in and he is like, I gotta go to the bathroom and talk myself out of trying to fuck her because that's clearly what he wants to do. That's clearly what I, what I think he thinks she wants to do. Oh, that's how like how I read that was because there's that moment where like they're at the door. She's in control. It's her night. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And like he I think clearly wants to sleep with her. She's portrayed as this like sexual, you know, she's like impressive. Yeah. And it's just like she's cool and like she's in charge. 
But I thought, you know, there's that moment where they're in the door and they look in each other's eyes and he's like, is that what you call an uncomfortable silence? And she's like, I don't know what that was. You know, I don't know what you'd call that. So I feel like she's mm-hmm. like, you're going to stick around. We're going to do this. So I think she wants the, I don't think she's going to fuck him, but I did feel like she wants to be flirted with. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like she wants that attention, whatever she's not getting from Marcellus. Because why the fuck isn't he taking her out? Yeah. You know what I mean? He's out of town. I still felt like, I think he felt like, I want to do this, but I sh- obviously shouldn't. Mm-hmm. But I did feel like, mm-hmm. she, I still felt like she was guiding that. Possibly. I more interpreted it as, like, they were hanging out. She's all high on coke. They're drinking. And he has to be like, well, I have an opportunity, possibly. But I'm not going to act on it because that would be a, a betrayal of trust to my boss, Marcellus. So he's, like, talking to himself in the mirror for who knows how long, long it enough for really her to funny. OD yeah, on like heroin. But yeah, he's like, <laughs> but he's like, you're just going to go home and jerk off and just go to bed. And then he comes out and she has already mm-hmm. snorted the heroin and then he has to like jump to action to go save her. I interpreted that scene as she was manipulating him a little bit, mm-hmm. a little bit for attention, but also just because she has known the whole night that he'll basically do whatever she tells him to do. Right. Because throughout the night, she, you know, wants to compete in this dance competition. He's like, okay, we'll do it. She's like, think of something to say. He's like, okay, I'll do it. So she's, I think, at the beginning of that scene, still fully in control. And then to me, that scene where, where John Travolta's talking to himself for 45 minutes is like him trying to convince himself that he's the one in control and he's the one who's going mm. to make the choice. Like, am I going to fuck her? I have to decide what I'm going to do when it's sort of made clear that entire sequence that he's not the person who's in control of. Yeah, he's kind of like a dork there. Yeah. Like in that scene, like he's kind deed. of made to be a dork where she's just like, that's why I thought it's interesting because he does have to save her, but he's not very good at it. Like he kind of, like he right. barely does it, but I just thought it was such an active choice for her to steal his drugs. Right. She's like, this is mine. And that leans into like the whole manipulative thing too of like, oh, well, why you're like trying to talk yourself out of thinking that you could fuck me if you wanted to, which who knows? <laughs> she takes his stuff. Yeah. And then the power dynamic shifts and that's, I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting in a story perspective. Right. That, I mean, I think the main takeaway is that it's impressive that we see a female character with a personality who's sort of taken control of yeah. the situation that they're in that night where, you know, they're kind of out on the town, but she's sort of the alpha of that whole interaction. Um, sure, yeah. So it's just something we so rarely mm-hmm. see that it was kind of refreshing. Yeah. Um, and she just is so good. Like, she's, she's just great. such yeah. a good actor. It was mm-hmm. just awesome. I mean, she's, I so you can't take your eyes off. What I also liked about her character was, like, it wasn't just cool. Like, what I was thinking about this time was, like, she's a failed actor. Like, she's kind of has, like, a weird personality. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Like, she's yeah. not, she's cool, and she, like, has her thing, but she's kind of not, like, she's a failure. And she's kind of, like, some of the things she said, like, she she reacts a little more excitedly than most cool characters would. Like, she's just kind of a, she's like a drug addict failed actor. And I, but she was still in control. And I thought that was a really right. cool way to portray someone. Like, mm-hmm. I was kind of impressed by how not, like, she is cool, but she's, like, like, I remember when she was responding about, like, I can't promise you that. If a more stereotypical man were writing her, be like, I can't promise you that. You know what I mean? Da-da-da. But she's yeah. like, I can't promise you that. Like, it was more, like, uh, quirkier, I thought, mm-hmm. which I thought was cool. Well, that might just be her, I don't know if that's more the writing or more just sort of her choices as an actor. Hard to say. Man, it's great, especially now watching this uh, movie and being like, wow, now Uma Thurman's just threatening to shoot Harvey Weinstein all the time <laughs> yeah. on Instagram. It's great. I love it. The whole This whole time, I was like, she just... She threatened to shoot Harvey Weinstein. That's so cool. It is Love really it. cool. Yeah. 
yeah, like I said, we're just so used to seeing very flat, one-dimensional female characters that we're like, it's pretty cool to be like, oh, she's she's got more than one dimension. And yeah. the TV show that she was in the pilot for sounds pretty fucking cool, like a show that I would want to watch. Fox Force 5, it's about five <laughs> cool women being bad. Fox I mean, Force it probably five. wouldn't be great, but I want to see Tarantino make that movie. Oh, Next. that'd be kind of cool if he I went see back him. and made Fox Force 5. Yeah. <laughs> and she has a sense of humor at the end of it, where after she's OD'd and nearly died, she's like, hey, let's maybe just forget about this. Want to hear that joke that I refused to tell you before? And he's like, sure. And then she tells a dumb catch-up joke. And we all laugh. Yeah, but... we're teeheeing. <laughs> and she's not the only female character in this movie who we see some semblance of personality from. Because I would yeah. say that Fabian has a pretty... We only see a little sliver of her in this movie. She's only in two scenes, but... But those scenes are so good. It's... Mm-hmm. In a more macro sense, it sucks that her presence doesn't have more bearing on the plot. And I would say that for almost every female character in this movie, with the exception of Mia, where it's like their actual effect on the plot, like we were talking about, is not huge. But her presence in the movie is so great. Well, so like Mia Wallace, where if you are oversimplifying things, her main contribution to the actual, maybe not the characterization of the story, but the events of the story is that she takes the drugs by accident, almost ODs, and it's a problem that a male character has to fix. Similar thing happens right. with Fabian? Fabian? Fabian. 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 Street. <laughs> Fabian Street. Um, she forgets Bruce Willis's like heirloom watch. The butt loom. <laughs> and has to, he, so he has to go back and get it, and it almost gets him killed. It gets him in this like, crazy almost he gets raped situation yeah things escalate he had to kill two people to get out of it yeah so because of her mistake that he has to fix that's her main contribution again to the events of the story not to the characterization of the movie because she does have an interesting character who has a personality again something that we're not used to seeing in movies for a female character to have a personality but I just couldn't help but notice of the female characters who do things that influence the direction the story takes in a significant way both of them can be boiled down to a female character making a mistake and a man having to fix it. I would also argue that the Amanda Plummer, who I believe it's Amanda Plummer, the one who yes. is Tim Roth's wife, mm. yeah. um, she kind of is bad at her thing too. Like I think she's not great at being a robber. You know what I mean? She kind of needs his guidance In the last very scene much. Especially. Yeah. yeah. So I was like almost a, she doesn't necessarily fuck up, but she's she needs his like in a similar way mm-hmm. i would say is like needs right. the male counterpart's guidance to kind of is relying on him to fix the right because she seemed kind of like a loose cannon where she might shoot so someone. such a totally. good actor like uh-huh. i was like oh you yeah. are so funny and so good but yeah i think yeah she's a little clearly mentally ill mm-hmm. yeah it's tricky there i i struggled with the with the last scene with her in the last scene in particular i gotta go pee where yeah i was like oh man of course you know of the two she's the one to fuck up or like show some sort of weakness and I do, I do feel like that choice had to be intentional to some extent, even if it was just like instinct on a male writer's part to have the female character fuck up. But then there's like all these themes, especially with Bruce Willis's character in this movie, where the whole ass watch thing is all about <laughs> this like 
it's this whole masculinity plot where he's trying to get his father's war heirloom. Mm -hmm. He, you know, doesn't have a war to fight. And that's the whole, you know, where it's Gen X of the 90s, very whatever. He's fighting wars he's in the fi boxing ring. He's fighting his own battle, right? <laughs> but but that like masculine heirloom is so important to him that he will cut down fucking whoever to get his dad's right. mm -hmm. ass watch instead of oh I don't know letting it go <laughs> like mm -hmm. so I don't know I mean all the characters in this movie are very flawed to the point where it was frustrating to see Amanda Plummer's character fuck up at the end but I feel like I felt that because we hadn't seen enough women on screen at all for there to be a like we see male characters fuck up constantly in this mm -hmm. movie that's like not an issue but there's just like not enough female characters with bearing on the plot that we see fuck up so that it feels equal right the right. really interesting thing I thought about Fabian was <laughs> watching it this time there's actually a bunch of things I thought that were very interesting about that relationship one was when they're hooking up, she's like, will you go down to me? And he's like, will you kiss it? And she goes, basically, if you yeah. eat me out first. Yeah. So it was a real great talk about consent. That and was it was also tight. like, she's like, you make me come first, which I think is great. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really cool because he's like, he's a boxer. You know what I mean? Like right. he's like a meathead. So I thought that was cool. But I also thought Although that... Although it annoyed me that like she was like, give me oral pleasure. And he's like, will you kiss it? Not agreeing to what she asked, but immediately being like, well, only if you suck my dick also. And she has to be like, but you first, because I asked you first. But like, I don't know. It annoyed me that I enjoyed that, he... that exchange in general. I don't know. I thought that was very much a relationship exchange. Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah. I understand what you're saying. I mean, mm -hmm. like, I, I get it. If it. But like, I was like, at least she... Like, if that had been reversed... That would have been a huge problem. Mm -hmm. Whereas I thought this was at least a boxer going down on a tiny woman. I was like, okay, good. <laughs> like, good. Boxers are giving oral pleasure. This is a step forward. Um, <laughs> the other interesting thing I thought, I was watching with a female friend, and so I asked her about it, and we were talking about this. And I'm very curious how you feel. When he gets mad about the watch, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, um, Yes, yeah. So that was a really interesting scene, I thought. So he gets mad. He starts yelling. She goes in the corner of the room, right? Where, like, the walls connect. Because he flips connect. a table, like, well, a knot, throws, a lamp gets... Th I thought he throws a TV, Oh, right? Um, yeah. He throws Something a TV, happened. but not yeah. at her. He throws a TV at a rage. He's a rageful boxer. Yeah. So he throws a TV. Yeah. But was So that's, like, bad, obviously. But then what I thought was interesting, and this is what I asked my friend, he sits on that chair and he goes, you know what? It's my fault. I didn't accurately tell you. You did your best. I didn't tell you how important it was to me. Mm -hmm. And right. like, I'm sorry. I just got to go. Don't worry about it. So he has a rage flip out. He like it has some sort of aggression. You could call it violence if you want. I don't think it was directed at her necessarily, but maybe. And then he's like, I'm sorry. And then in the car, he starts freaking he's like, out oh, again, how basically. could you not? You know it's important to me. But right. But I thought it was interesting because their relationship was very... I thought bizarrely charming because it was sort of like almost stereotypical in the way that but there was real love there. I thought it was the most love in the whole movie mm -hmm. in a way. Right. And I thought my friend was like, you know what? He apologized immediately. And it was kind of interesting where he was like really aggressive and uh, 
But he clearly really loved her, and he did apologize immediately. And for someone who is such a probably like an alt right weirdo, <laughs> uh, I thought sure it was interesting. Right. <laughs> and so I thought it was just interesting for him to, to to have him apologize immediately. And I thought that was like a I don't know if it has to do with the Bechdel test, but it has something to do with like how a relationship should work. You know what I mean? You make this mistake, and then you. But I don't know. I was I mean, curious what you guys a, thought about. He has it. a snap reaction. I mean, I could have done without him. You know, throwing a TV for to sure the, to the point where she's so scared for her safety that she cowers into she a cries. corner well, and is me, crying. Seeing that, seeing her default to a corner, right. I, I'm like, this is maybe something. not the first time this mm-hmm. has happened. That's if true. she has an instinct to retreat to a corner yeah. where it's like, if that's the first time that's happening, mm-hmm. it just didn't seem like the first time that, that it happened. You're right. But then when we see him dial back, I mean, it, it's hard because also they're fictional. We don't <laughs> know. No one truly knows. He but, also does flirt with Esmeralda. He does. So he's a little mm. bit of like a, a brute. Well, all the men in this movie, I think that speaks to the like hyper masculinity of all the men we see in this movie. Like there's no, I mean, except for maybe Eric Stoltz, like all the main characters the are like non-sexual characters. The <laughs> They're just like dripping with like toxic hyper masculinity. And sure, that's what the movie's about. They're, jo- they're you mm-hmm. know, all kind of, you know, these like bad criminal, you know, boxer, gun slinging type of guys. But it's hard for me to watch movies like that nowadays just to see so much hyper masculinity and have it be celebrated and have people oh, I love this movie so much and whereas of the women in the movie if there was more of a balance if some of those like scary characters were women like if one of the hit people was a woman in the, it just like struck more of a balance it would be easier for me to watch but now I'm just like so over this like celebration of hyper masculinity that I'm like ugh that being said, this movie does a better job than a lot of them. Yeah, especially because right. it kind of almost created it. Like it mm-hmm. created this run of like high press. It's like for it to – because what I said at the beginning of the podcast was like I truly feel like Quentin Tarantino doesn't give a fuck about big issues. Like it, So when he's writing this movie, he's definitely not thi- – like his writing of Mia Wallace – He's not trying to be amenable to feminism. He's just trying to write a character you haven't seen before. He's like a film nerd who wants to see something you haven't seen before. I don't think he's writing it because he thinks men should do this and women should. You know what I mean? Like he's just mm-hmm. like he, – he like is like a movie. He's like he, – all he right. is is like a movie. So he's just <laughs> shitting out a movie that he wants to see because he wants to be cool. Like it's called Pulp Fiction because it's based in all these sort of – like it's like there's a boxer. There's Hitman. It's like based in these like 50-cent novels, you mm-hmm. know? And so I think he more cares about entertainment than anything. I don't think he gives a fuck. It's like – that's why he, he uses the N-word. It's so awful. But he's like, I'm not racist. Like he doesn't – he's not even really thinking about it. You know what I mean? He's trying to be cool and he's a man so he can't understand like any issues and so I think it's 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 hard because you have to judge the movie based on what it is but he he seems like a crazy sort of person who isn't even really interacting in society but, mm, you know what I mean right. I mean that's a bad excuse in 2017 it's definitely a bad excuse <laughs> like, no no I'm not it's, wake up it's not an excuse yeah, I just yeah. mean when I think about him sure. I don't think he has a fuck I don't think he gives a shit you know what I mean but I mean that, especially when this movie's being made this is like I I feel like with and and we'll do more Tarantino movies in the future his movies with time become more intentional I it's hard to trace intent with this movie where it does just seem like oh this is cool this is something I like yeah like you were saying something I would like to see and you get a very interesting movie with a lot of stuff you haven't seen before in it as a result but then the the trade-off is like it kind of becomes hard to analyze because it's like 
a lot of times we, we see movies where women are either being sidelined or mistreated very intentionally mm-hmm. because whatever the reason may be. And this is just like hard to tell what the intention for almost anything is other than this seems cool. Mm. I'll do this. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it, 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 like, what's interesting about this movie, too, is it was like a very small budgeted movie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, it's, it's one of the most popular movies ever, but it became this phenomenon. So I think it became very influential, probably in a pretty negative way to enhancing toxic masculinity. But it was more, he was just trying to, like, be cool. I think, mm. like, I think he wasn't thinking, like, at least that's just what I get from him, where he's like, He's reversing tropes to some degree, just it's in what he's doing in scenes. Sometimes, yeah, like, or like someone getting shot in the middle of a scene, or like it's two hitmen just having, as you were saying, like a six-minute conversation about like Amsterdam or feet or whatever. It's like I clearly, when watching, is like he's concerned with that shit and like mm-hmm. being having like these scenes, and then it became this like behemoth, and then all these men were like, "I got to make that," you know? Because mm-hmm. I think the most. I feel like the Fabian character is actually pretty bad. Like, I think that's like a pretty bad representation of a woman. Like, I think that's the worst by far. But I think... How how come? Because she's a tiny person who seems helpless. She's sort of like a fantasy of a woman. Like, she's like French, has that haircut, kind of, like, and has like those big eyes and like has these like white shirts. He kills it with the white shirts, by the way. Everyone wore (laughs) amazing white shirts in that movie. Um, Bruce and Fabian and... Uh, Uma. Uma. They just the white shirts were amazing. Um, <laughs> she doesn't really do anything. She talks about eating. She loves her boyfriend. That's what you know about her, mm-hmm. right? And then she fucks up and right. is kind of helpless. And then she's just kind of and she cries a lot. So it's like kind of like I'd say that's bad. But even then, I think what he's trying to do is just like have like an adorable foreign woman. You know what I mean? Like I don't think he's yeah. really thinking. Like it seems like he doesn't. He never even thought about the fact that it's like a person. He's just writing well, these stupid, yeah. That's what, I mean, we do see just a little sliver of this character, and she does have, I would argue, more personality than a lot of female characters have but in movies. That... But because she, all the women in this movie are framed as, like, the romantic partner of one of the male characters who we know a little bit better, we see actually doing things. And or they're just Esmeralda. Sort of like, Besides Kathy Griffin. Or, or, and Kathy <laughs> Right. The working women of the movie. I mean, yeah, and the Esmeralda scene was a little bizarre I mean cool that you see the representation of a woman Women cab driver taxi driving. <laughs> uh, the one last thing I want to say about Fabienne before we move on from that character is while she does not have a lot of bearing on, on the plot and her main significance in the plot is fucking up so that Bruce Willis can launch into all these other weird scenes and eventually hold a katana which is I think what Quentin Tarantino wants the whole time is like, how can I get yeah. from point A to Bruce exactly. Willis with a katana? Yeah, that's the like, whole. Yeah, that's, right. That's the most intense. <laughs> I do you'll think find. that scene, by the way, not to, but that scene was really funny when he's in the pawn shop and he goes from weapon to weapon to chainsaw, and then the no. like, that is super funny. <laughs> it was like, like a hammer. <laughs> but the the exchange between Bruce Willis, Butch, and Fabienne, and they're talking about bodies at the beginning of their exchange together where she's like there's that kind of weird but i i think kind of good line where she's talking about like i wish i had a pot belly and he was like why that'd be fucking gross or like what you know mm-hmm. whatever they're 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 back and forth and it's very relationship talky mm-hmm. and then she says that that line of like oh it's it's so weird that what feels good and what looks good to people is seldom the same or something mm. like that. And that for me was like, whoa, what an interesting, like that character was used in some way 
that I got a positive takeaway from. Again, impossible to know if this is just words that Quentin Tarantino thought sounded <laughs> nice next to each other mm-hmm. or if there was some intent next to it. But that whole like relationship he seen between them, I thought pre him throwing a TV was very into their relationship. <laughs> Post him throwing in a TV, it's like now there's some stuff to address. Well, there's also that part where she's like, I want a pot belly. And he's like, if you had a pot belly, I'd punch you in it. And we're like, ah, feminist icon Bruce Willis. No. <laughs> Not oh, our feminist icon. Yeah. <laughs> I did want to call attention to all the times in which a man in this movie calls a woman a bitch or. Tell that bitch to so, chill. Yeah. Okay. Uh, early on. I've been known to say that every once in a while. <laughs> To um, any gender. When Jules is talking about Mia Wallace, he says something like, eating a bitch out and touching a bitch's feet, they're not even in the same ballpark. And then Eric Stoltz says, you're not bringing this fucked up bitch into my house. And then Vincent says about Eric Stoltz's wife, what a fucking bitch. And then Butch says to Fabian. You know, sorry, you know what would make all of this even? If Bruce Willis's character's name was Bitch, <laughs> then it would be totally fine. Oh, so then you would have to be... What's up, Bitch? Yeah, you, you would be Young Bitch. I would be Adult young Bitch. bitch. <laughs> and then Old Bitch would come in eventually. Uh, and then this isn't Bitch calling... But butch calling her a bitch, but bitch. he says, Do you know how fucking stupid you are? To Fabian. And then Jules at the end says, like, Get that bitch under control or whatever. Bitch be cool, mm. right? Bitch be cool. Yeah, bitch be yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's... I love that line. No, it's... Fr- Man. It's almost as if the bitch male character... <laughs> but it's almost as if the male characters in this movie are not feminist icons. Nor what? are they... Okay, so speaking of language, one of the other reasons it's hard for me to watch this movie and enjoy it as much as I have in the past is that the N-word just gets thrown around casually. Oh all the time, often by white people, either to or in front of or just about people of color. And it is just very casual the way in which Quentin Tarantino is like, yeah, let's just drop a hundred He's like, N-bombs. guys, I'll do it myself. And also he has a black wife. <laughs> yeah. Which is so Who's, weird. It's doesn't get any bizarre. doesn't yeah. get any lines. We you don't see even see the her back. face. You yeah. just know that she'd get mad. Right. And divorce right. him right. because there's a, a dead body in her garage. <laughs> What yeah, Quentin, it's also just weird that Quentin Tarantino cast himself. Like it's just like all it's just he's yeah. he's such a weird man. Like we were, what is he doing? We were talking about this last night, where it's like at at very least, Quentin Tarantino saw himself in this movie and was like, probably not again. Probably yeah. we're gonna we're gonna hang it up here, <laughs> which I respect because because most directors that are like I want to be in it too, like they don't they don't know when to say when all the time. And he was like, you know what? I maybe did a crummy job. Mm, mm. Yeah, the N-word is, like, it just is a little... (laughs) Again, this is another thing where he's, like, trying to be cool, right? And what's interesting about him, I think, because he has written some roles for a lot of, like, famous roles for black characters, there Mm -hmm. are black actors who, like, defend it, you know? Like Jamie Foxx has or Samuel Jackson has. I'm sure Pam Greer did. You know what I mean? Like things like that. But it is one of those things like I'm watching. I'm like, oh, God. Like Mm. it's two white characters talking to each other sometimes like Stoltz Mm -hmm. and Travolta. And it's like, why is that word there? Like, is this helping the movie? Mm. Um, And it it is a little. I did feel kind of viscerally upset. I was like, oh, what? Or when he says it to Samuel L. Jackson, Samuel L. Jackson doesn't respond to that word. I also thought that was interesting. It's Mm -hmm. like he's just saying, like, clearly they're friends and he doesn't seem to care about it. But it is a little like, what are we talking about here? Well, that's. What are we doing? It's because it's a a white writer, director making the choices 
a black writer and director probably would not have let that happen that way. No, right. it's it's more just I, I'm more just like like what do you think this is adding? Like right. it's so weird right. because it because the it's nineties. It's just like a but, lack of no. But I again. saw Hateful Eight. I saw Hateful Eight in theaters, and um, that movie has the N word mm. a lot, oh, way more yeah. than Pulp Fiction. And I saw it with, and there were like people of all colors in the movie theater, and I thought it was horrible. Like mm. I was like, this is really unnecessary and I don't know why we're doing this like it's not like it doesn't you don't need that word to get across what's going it hasn't it does it, the movie isn't saying anything about race you know what I mean right. like it's right. just like right. what are we talking about here and I think it, it bugs me no matter where in Quentin Tarantino's oeuvre it shows up it sucks and it's uncomfortable and especially when in these movies where it's famously written by a white guy and you know exactly who it is I feel like it, it makes it all the more uncomfortable to watch it be forced out of characters of any color's mouth. Mm-hmm. It's just like but by it's the time, just crazy. It's just sort of right. like to hear it like whoa. Like, by the time we get to Hateful Eight it's so intentional that it's like why the fuck would you still it's be It's just doing? like a <laughs> right. statement. It's, yeah. It's, right. it's like, no, I can hold on to my words. Like, it's just that freedom of speech bullshit, which is just Ugh. like, what are we talking about, Exhausting. guys? Exhausting. Yeah. Um, the last thing I want to say about this movie is that there's a line that Harvey Keitel's character says as they're like all kind of parting ways. He says, just because you are a character doesn't mean that you have character. And I think that is a thesis statement for the way so many women are written in movies. Just because they are a character in the movie, technically, mm. doesn't mean they have I didn't have think about that character. when hearing that line. I just thought it was mm. like a kind of a dad joke. But, <laughs> I mean, sure, that's, right. that's totally no, what it's right. intended that's to be. A, that's very funny. But I absorbed it and I was like, hey, what a what a way to describe how women are portrayed in movies a lot of the time. So Going really, really quick. And this is not like something to be like, hey, really quick, can we talk about the brutal rape scene in this movie? <laughs> but I was very taken aback, but I must have blacked it out because I just I just straight up did not remember this happened in the movie. So there is a male on male rape scene in mm-hmm. this movie and there's a lot to unpack there. But what I thought was another like, OK, that was a choice that kind of felt true to the character of Marcellus is that Marcellus basically is like, we're n- this will never be spoken of again. Mm-hmm. Like, and that is the, that's sort of where like Bruce Willis's story closes of like, okay, cool. We're never going to talk about the fact that I got raped again. And we are going to talk about out. Kevin though. We are. <laughs> Sorry. Not till 2011. Like, it's not that we have to talk about Kevin. So we need to talk about Kevin. <laughs> Okay, we I won't need- talk about what happened to you, but we do need to talk we about Kev Kev. We need to talk about Kevin. He's troubled. He's, he's got a bow and arrow in the backyard. What's going on with that kid? What a weird movie. Let's mm, never do that sucked. movie on the show. The no. it was I've never seen just, it. We don't, it turns out we didn't need to so talk wait, about Kevin. So wait, can you... Sorry, I didn't, mean to, I didn't mean to interrupt you, obviously. But, like, what do you... Right. Can you finish that thought? I'm curious. I So I, I thought that that was an interesting... And again, there's no intent in this movie, but a hyper-masculine reaction to an event like that of like, let's never talk about it. And it's not, I I feel like it's not even implied of like, because this is a traumatic, horrible experience that will affect me for the rest of my life. But the implication was more because it was embarrassing for me or Mm. like, because people would make fun of me for it. Like his intent in saying let's never talk about it again didn't seem connected to the trauma that there would 
be with an experience like that. Well, you know what it's connected to, I now realize, is remember when um, Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta are talking to the guys that they shoot in the beginning of the movie, and he's like, is Marcellus Wallace your bitch? So then theoretically right. what he, what this guy did, what the Peter Green character, the, the cop rapist, made him, quote unquote, his bitch. Which is the worst thing to happen mm. to a guy. Like, that's what right. happened there. It's more of like a, home, like like it's a weird your, homophobic, like, I can't be the lesser. The receiver of prostate pleasure. Exactly. Yeah. Exa- and and mm. as opposed to any, the, any com- I mean, there, there's no commentary there. But it, it, it was like a, a very sort of a very hyper-masculine move by a hyper-masculine character. Mm-hmm. But just thought worth mentioning I, there's a totally. lot to unpack there sure. because it's yeah, like, and, what is marcellus like three years down the line after that experience he's, he needs a lot he's of like this keeps sure. happening to I me just think, <laughs> he's like i'm struggling i like, gotta like get a new job <laughs> i just well to me it's like quentin tarantino being obsessed with like revenge narratives where like marcellus gets raped and then he gets to exact immediate revenge on his rapist by shooting his dick off and then just, right we don't see what happens after that but he which is great describes yeah which is great but all for dicks getting between shot like off. kill bill which is just straight up a revenge story django unchained and glorious bastards these are all just like stories of like let's just get revenge on these people so i think it's i i feel like that scene was put in there because he's like i'm obsessed with people getting revenge for doing well, and I yeah. also think that there's a little part in Quentin Tarantino's little weird lizard brain that's like, have people ever seen a that's man-on-man exactly rape scene what before? I think. I think that's exactly what that's it is. That's what it felt mm-hmm. like. He's like, like, what's cool? He's like trying to do something memorable Ugh. or cool. Like, no, I really think that's where he's so, coming from. But that to me makes it so much worse. It's like, of of like, oh, well, I've never seen this on screen. Let me just put it on screen. Let me not think about any of the ramifications or mm-hmm. how a character would realistically deal with this. Let me just like... I haven't seen this. Here it is. I, I would bet all my money that that's exactly that what that's it was. That's what it is. I don't right. think he is thought about it at all. Like even in Ugh. like the masculinity part, which is interesting because obviously he's a man, so he can't see what he's doing. Like, he doesn't know what he does, I guess. Right. But he's almost just like, no, I haven't seen this, so mathematically I should do that. Like even with the masculinity part, I, I think like I would think he thinks he's a feminist because he did kill Bill. You know what I mean? Mm. But he doesn't really. Quentin Tarantino for sure. Thinks he's right because he's not even he's not even really like think he's yeah I just think he watches movies all day long and isn't a person yeah but then mm-hmm. when Harvey Weinstein is exposed as a predator Quentin Tarantino's like um uh, that sucks like yeah. there's just oh god yeah yeah I'm sure he thinks he's a feminist probably uh, while Uma Thurman is threatening to murder Harvey Weinstein <laughs> on Instagram.com a true feminist icon that's wild um, we're running out of time so Take we should talk it. about whether or not the movie passes the Bechdel test. It, it does. does. <laughs> in one scene where Jody and Trudy, because we both know their names, mm-hmm. are talking about Jody's piercings. Ooh, which introduces a new fun Bechdel asterisk to how we interpret it. The interpretate interpret the test <laughs> Street? on the podcast. Meryl Street. <laughs> Meryl Street's interpretative. <laughs> so a lot of times uh, when we talk about the podcast, people will be like, "Oh, well, it's mainly about the Bechdel test," which it isn't. We talk about how women are portrayed, but new asterisk to the test because people ask about our particular interpretation of it. Mm-hmm. So when we see this scene that passes the Bechdel test, we do not yet know the names of the female characters but we find out what their names are in the scene immediately following mm-hmm. for us that's a pass that's a pass because we it... find out what their names are we don't know when the scene is happening but we mm-hmm. learn pretty much right after right yeah 
I mean, we we have to make all these exceptions or else no movies would pass the Bechdel test. A little fun nitpicky (laughs) new asterisk. Mm -hmm. Right. But yeah, we do find other names, So, um, and they are talking. I don't think a man gets mentioned once in that conversation. They're just talking about Rosanna Arquette's various piercings all over her body. Right. Just a real Quentin Tarantino for some reason didn't hit the although she does say because she's talking about her tongue piercing she's like it's to make filleting better so she's basically but filleting whom (laughs) filleting whom probably a man uh, I think that that is you're is not that, a feminist. Icon. Is that too heteronormative? Yeah. I say I don't well, know, fellatio. and therefore I'm a queer icon. <laughs> you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. So that's the one scene where it passes the back. I don't think any other scenes have two women even interacting. Interact. There are sometimes two women in a scene, but they don't talk to each other. Right. Like in the at a restaurant or something like that. But yeah. Right. <sighs> Let's read the movie. <laughs> On our nipple okay. scale, uh, where we rate the movie based on its portrayal of women, zero to five nipple scale. This is going to be tricky because we see female characters who have personalities for once in Most of them have lives. names Most that I can think yeah. of. Yeah. Of the ones that have speaking roles, I think almost all, all of them, them have names. names. And there are more than one woman in the movie. Um, oh, there's God. like up to five or six with speaking roles. What a depressing. <laughs> <laughs> but because this is a movie about men and their storylines, if there are women, they're sort of framed as the girlfriend or the wife and they're not mm-hmm. really contributing that much to the story. I'm going to give it like a two, I think. And again, it, it did bother me that like the two main plot points where a woman does something to significantly impact the direction the story takes is them making a mistake that has to be corrected by a man. So that yes. bugged me a lot. So uh, yeah, it's going to be two nipples and I'm going to give my nipples to Meryl Street. Meryl Street? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Hit us up, Meryl Street. Please. I Okay. Parts... In this movie, I wish Alfred Molina had perhaps had. Of course. I think he could have done Harvey Keitel's part very well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he could have done it as well as Harvey Keitel. And that's mm-hmm. a lot because Alfred Molina is a master of his craft, as we know. I think that he could have done Bruce Willis's part. <laughs> and it could have been a really fun breakout role for him. He, he, could, have play, he could have also played Mia Wallace. Like, he's amazing. Certainly. I'm also going to give this movie two nipples for the reasons you described. It's interesting when you think about Quentin Tarantino's work as a whole, where this is his second hit after Reservoir Dogs, which is such a male, male, male movie Mm -hmm. that we barely see a woman in the entire fucking thing. So it is interesting that he's gradually introducing women into his body of work pulp fiction is not you know it's not not a woman's film it's It's not not a a feminist masterpiece it's an actor's film it's a tone poem it's a lot of things there's a lot of (laughs) horny depth in the film oh sure i think we can argue that there's a lot of horny tone poem elements to the film but uh it's interesting that this is the movie where we see quentin tarantino start to realize hey what if i put a woman in the movie doing literally anything yeah there's I, i it sucks that women are either damseled or have basically no bearing on the plot. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'll give it two nippies and I'm going to give those nippies to Esmeralda. Oh, very nice. Jake, what would you give? So one thing I want to say is I think Jackie Brown would also be an interesting movie to do on your podcast Mm, because it came right after and it's all about, yeah, anyway, I think two is pretty accurate. 
Yeah. Did you just mansplain to us what movies we should do in our podcast? I'm a Jake? man. Yeah. <laughs> I warned you. I e- when I emailed you, I said, even though I'm a dumb man, I'd like to do your podcast. <laughs> I warned you ahead of time I was a man. You didn't know I was, and I am. <laughs> it's true. Um, it's true. Yeah, I just think it'd be interesting. Honestly, I just haven't seen Jackie Brown in a long time, and it's it's about it. Actually, a it's woman, the, it's the one... and it's it's like you know it's it's about Pam Greer, and it's like a very it's her movie, so it's mm. a it'd be an interesting movie to do because it is the movie I think after this movie, so it would be interesting to see how much he changed. I I wish that we had done both. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, two I think is pretty fair. I mean, because also again, I mean I love the movie. It, like even with all this stuff, watching it from this angle, which I never had before, I still love the movie. I think it's like super entertaining and ridiculous, and it's a relic from childhood. So. It's kind of stuck there for me, but um, yeah, representation of women. I I don't think you can argue. I I think two is being generous. Yeah, obviously probably. Mia Wallace is like a pretty awesome character, and I do think she re- you really remember her, and she's cool as shit. But I don't think you can say that from a female perspective. This helps at all. Oh, um, no. I think no. in the end, if if anything for gender, it is definitely been on the wrong side of history. But mm-hmm. as a movie, I I do love watching it. I have to admit, I think it's really fun. Yeah. Jake, thank you so much for being here. Thank that you was like on Jake Wiseman. Wow, where can people find you online? <laughs> At Weisman Jake on Twitter, and that's it. And but check out <gasps> corporate. Oh, yeah. Can we see please, corporate? Please watch corporate um, on Comedy Central at 10 p.m. on January 17th. You can also watch the first four episodes right now for free on CC.com. I think you'll really like the show. It's good. It's so good. Hooray! Vouched. Love it. Thanks. You can yeah. follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the good stuff at Bechtelcast, and go to our website Bechtelcast.com. You can subscribe to our Patreon. <gasps> that would be a blast for you if you did that. That'd that would be, great. be a blast for you. It would be a blast. Okay. It helps us out with our production costs. It helps you out by getting even more Bechtelcast. Wow. What wow. A, what a gift. What a time to be alive. What a time. 2018. Dang. Is The, the stuff for Patreon is just you two talking about men. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's yeah, just yeah. like a list yeah. of our Google spreadsheet <laughs> yeah. hit list. Yeah. We, don't <laughs> we should just do an episode where we list all of Alfred Molina's movies. <laughs> Alfred Molina. I'm going to start. That's a different podcast. I just Going through Alfred Molina's. Uh, entire body of work with Alfred Molina. It's yeah. kind of just a thing for me and Alfred Molina. I'm sorry. <laughs> no yeah, one no, can be included I, except I, the two of us. I understand. And it ends with us hooking up wow. at the end of every episode. Congratulations. We hook up. <laughs> we hook up. Okay, cool. Well, well, that was, that was thanks. <laughs> thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. 
the Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.